You're listening to the Benton Heights Presbyterian Church Podcast. We hope this message brings you encouragement and helps to build your faith in Jesus. We're glad you're here to listen to this message from Pastor Paul. You know, we love a good rescue story, whether it's in the news or in the movies, and that's exactly what the Bible is. It's the greatest rescue story that's ever been told. And we're in kind of that position where we may not even be aware of it, that there is a death sentence hanging over us, and we can't save ourselves. And we need someone else to come in and do what we can't do, and that is rescue us. That's the story of the Bible. That's the story of Jesus, and that's the story where we will find ourselves today in Ephesians chapter 2. So how are we saved There are two basic categories in which to view salvation. Most, if not all, religions and spiritualities, apart from Christianity, that is, have something that they teach as works. That is, you save yourself by doing certain things and not doing other things. You become your own savior. It's all up to you. So in Buddhism... Being able to curtail your desires saves you. In Confucianism, education, self-reflection, and living a moral life saves you. In Hinduism, detaching from yourself and making an effort to live in unity with the divine saves you. In Islam, living a life of good deeds saves you. In Orthodox Judaism, Repentance, prayer, and working hard to obey the laws saves you. In New Ageism, gaining a new perspective through which you now see yourself connected to all things saves you. And in some people's minds, simply being a good person saves you. The whole category is works. It's do this, don't do this, and you'll be saved from the fate that is set before you. Okay, that's one option. The other option is grace. And you'll only hear about it in Christianity. And that's that we are not saved by our works. We are saved by Jesus' works. So the storyline of the Bible is that we are in a terrible fate. There's this death sentence hanging over us and we cannot rescue ourselves. And Jesus, our great God and Savior, comes in from the outside and comes in to rescue us. He comes to save us. We are saved by his works. He lives without sin. So it's Jesus's life that saves us, not ours. He dies on the cross in your place for your sin, so it's his death, not ours, that saves us. And he rises from death, conquering our enemies of sin and death, so it's his victory, not ours, that is the means by which we experience salvation and are rescued. In fact, the name Jesus means God saves. So, His name indicates who he is, his life mission. 
It's Jesus alone who is worthy of our faith. Jesus alone is our Savior. And if anyone is trusting in anyone or anything other than him, or even in addition to him, they are trusting in the wrong thing and they will not experience salvation. Let me share with you a first glance of a couple of verses we'll see again in a moment. This is how Paul says it in Ephesians 2. It is by grace you have been saved. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. You see, what he's saying is we're not saved because of who we are and what we do. We're saved because who Jesus is and what he does. And that's grace, unmerited favor, undeserved love. And now I want to show you how that salvation encompasses all of our life from past to present to future. So in the past, you were saved from the penalty of sin. Jesus dies on the cross in your place for your sins. This is the grace of God through which you are saved. That means that Jesus died the death that you should die. That Jesus suffered the punishment that you should suffer. That Jesus tasted the wrath of God that you should have full strength. But here's the good news. If you are in Christ, if you're a Christian, if you belong to Jesus, there is no penalty for your sin. There may be consequences for your sin, but God is not punishing you because Jesus has already been punished in your place for your sins. It also means if you are in Christ, once you die, you will not receive an eternal penalty for your sin because Jesus already paid that on the cross. It's what it means to be saved by grace. That was 2,000 years ago. We didn't ask for it. He just did it out of love. So that was the past. And then in the present, we are saved from the power of sin. This means that you were living a life of sin and then Jesus gives you a new life. He puts the Holy Spirit in you to live by a new power, the power of God. And that means that the power of God in you is stronger than the temptations that surround you. For the Christian, this means that we can start to say no to sin and yes to God. That we can walk from disobedience to obedience and the result is that we are being saved from the power of sin. That doesn't mean that Christians are perfect. It just means that Christians make progress. How many of you have experienced that in your own life? You've been saved from the power of sin. Maybe there was a time you thought, oh, man, this is never going to change. And by the power of God, it's changing or it's already changed. So in the past, we were saved from the penalty of sin. 
And in the present, we are being saved from the power of sin. But sadly, some people think that Christianity doesn't really take full effect, doesn't really have much meaning until you die. We'll even tell others, you maybe have heard this, well, give your life to Jesus, and when you die, you go to heaven. Yeah, that's true. But there's so much more to the story. Eternal life doesn't begin the moment you die. Eternal life begins the moment you meet Jesus. That's the beginning of eternal life. And with that, you are saved in the past from the penalty of sin. You are saved in the present from the power of sin. And that Jesus doesn't just change you when you die. He changes you the moment you become one of his. And then thirdly, in the future, you're saved forever from the presence of sin. When God created the world, as recorded in Genesis 1, he made everything. And he said it was very good. There was no sin, no sickness, no suffering, no disease, no decay, no death. Everything was perfect. And it's a world down deep in our heart that we all long for, yearn for. That's why we have issues and, and causes we support. It's why we work to affect change in the world. But sin has infected and affected everyone and everything. And we can't get free from the presence of sin. Even the most holy among us realize the presence of sin in their hearts and in their lives. But there will be a day, and the Bible talks about it, that we will be totally new, thoroughly new, and that sin will be no more. There will be no more suffering, no sickness, no sin, no death, no devastation, no destruction. It will be a world as God created it before sin corrupted it. It will be a world as Christ remakes it by his own glory. And we will be saved from the presence of sin. In that future, no sin, no Satan, no demons, no injustice, no tyranny, no evil. We won't need hospitals and police officers and soldiers. All the things we need right now because of the presence of sin that's loose in our world. But those things will no longer be and so we're told that we are saved by grace and that this is Jesus' work for us. And then Paul anticipates maybe some questions that uh, those in Ephesus would have, and perhaps some of the same questions that you would have. So uh, I'm going to attempt to answer them from Paul's letter. A series of questions. The first question is this, saved from what? And he says this, this is how Ephesians chapter 2 begins. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time 
gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So let's focus on just three things that the Apostle Paul mentions in these verses. What are we saved from? Number one, we are saved from death. You were dead, Paul writes. Death is the result of sin. Where there's no sin, there's no death. And that's why in the kingdom of God, we will not die because we will be saved from the presence of sin and death will be no more. Number two, what else are we saved from? He lifts up. We are saved from transgressions and sins. Another word for transgressions that is often used is trespasses. So some translations will say we are saved from our trespasses and sins. Now, our sins include our thoughts, our words, our actions, our motives. Sins are those of commission, the things that we do that are wrong. Sins of omission, the things that we don't do, that we should do. And here is the language of trespasses. So if you're ever out in an open area and and maybe you're hunting, maybe you're hiking, and you get to a sign that says no trespassing, that means you're not to go beyond that point. All of a sudden you realize there's, there's a boundary here. I'm allowed over here, but as soon as I cross that line, I'm in an area that I'm not supposed to be in, and there could be consequences, negative consequences. So it is with God's Word. God's Word is filled with what we might call laws, boundary markers, guidelines. These two are areas where we are not supposed to trespass. And we'll know when we cross the line that we're in a place that we're not supposed to be. We're doing things that we ought not to do. Where have you trespassed? Where are your sins? We've all done them. And the third thing that we're saved from is worldly living. He goes on to talk about the way that we used to follow the course of this world. We're saved from this. By worldliness, this means it's how everybody thinks. It's how everybody acts. This is what they do, and it seems normal and natural, and it's something that the majority is doing. Well, let me tell you, morality is not defined by the majority. Morality is defined and determined by the Lord. You see, the majority says it's easier to commit adultery than it is to celebrate a 50th anniversary of fidelity. The majority says it's easier to give up on your kids than persevere with them. The majority says it's easier to spend all your money on yourself and not be generous toward God and others. The majority says it is easier to have a corrupt sexuality or a corrupt morality than it is to repent and make progress by God's 
grace just is. But Paul says that we are saved from that. I want to tell you this. God is a good father. When he gives us rules, guidelines, it's because he loves us. We're his children. You need to know this because some people think that God's laws are all about forbidding. They're not. They're loving. Some of us may think, you know, I, I want to do a, a certain thing, and, and God says no, and I think it's because he just wants to take my fun away from me. It's not so. He's a father. And when he makes rules, he makes rules to protect his kids. He genuinely does. Which means that when we trespass, when we sort of just climb over the, the, the fence of a place where we're not supposed to go and we find ourselves in a, in a river that we're caught going downstream and that's not a good place. No, you and I are supposed to swim against that strong current or perhaps not even get into the river in the first place. Your father loves you and he's trying to protect you. Now, how does all this happen? So we know what we're saved from. We're saved from death. We're saved from our sins and transgressions or trespasses. We're saved from worldly ways. Next question is, saved by what? Remember, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Dead people don't make decisions. Apart from Jesus, you are spiritually dead. So verse 4. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. Apart from Jesus... You are spiritually dead. But God made us alive in Christ. God puts life in you. God brings us from separation to reconciliation. That's what God does. And then we respond with faith. If you're a Christian, God has made you alive in Christ. Just as he came to Lazarus' tomb, when he was dead in that tomb, and Jesus calls out, Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. He calls him by name. He had to. Because if Jesus had just gone into a cemetery and said, come out, then all the people that were dead would have come out. That's the power of Jesus' words. By the same token, Jesus has come to you, called you by name, and brought you from death to life. Paul says that God made us alive in Christ. And how does that happen? By grace. So if somebody asks, what does it mean to be a Christian? It means that you're in Jesus. You're with Jesus. And how does this happen? By grace. It is a gift. Now, let me ask. 
what is the greatest gift you've ever received? I'm about to tell you what it is. God gave us God. God gave us himself. We didn't ask for it. We just got it. God has given us his forgiveness, his love, his righteousness, his truth, his Holy Spirit. God gives us the scriptures and the church. God gives us God. So now you say, okay, I get it. I'm saved. I probably have several more years left on this earth. What am I to do with them? So this is the third question. Saved for what? Verse 6. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show us the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And then here, verses 8 and 9, these two verses are so important. They really sum up the essence of Christianity and salvation. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. You didn't do this. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then Paul's going to conclude our section today with this verse 10. For we are God's handiwork. So that's God working in us, on us, and God working through us. We are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, the, the key is to get the works in the right order. Jesus' works save us. He works in us as his handiwork, and then he works through us as an act of worship. So our works are a result of his works. Unlike any other religion that says, okay, here are your works, you do these, and you'll be saved. No, we are only saved in Jesus because you are saved by his works. Final question. So where do our good works fit in? It's this. It's not that we are saved by our works, but rather we are empowered by grace to do good works. In other words, we are not saved by our good works, but we are saved in order to do good works. So works and grace are not against each other. It's that we do good works by the grace of God to the glory of God. So let me say this. God isn't calling all of you to church leadership, but he is calling all of us to do good works. For some of you, that's as an accountant or a teacher or a mother or a father or a landscaper or a banker or a real estate agent. 
It's not as if there's a higher calling and a lower calling. The good works are all the things that Jesus has laid out for us to do. And whatever those are for you, those are the things you should be doing by the grace of God. So I want to free you up from the thinking that there is a varsity and junior varsity in the kingdom of God. Just because I'm in paid ministry doesn't mean that I'm doing good works and that a carpenter or a computer programmer or a teacher isn't doing equally good works. That means there's no such thing as secular work and sacred work for Christians. I hear folks say, you know, I have a secular job. No, you don't. If you love Jesus, you have a worshipful job. Whatever it is that you're doing. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So you know what we need? Yeah, we need church elders. We also need caring teachers in this world. We also need honest businessmen and businesswomen. We need it all. And you are valuable and meaningful and purposeful. And because you're doing works, they don't have to be just the sacred thing. It's because you're doing works and Jesus is in you. And if Jesus is in you and working with you, then it's an act of worship. You see, some of you are going to have to have homework this week. And that is to take some time to thank and pray. What is it that God wants me to do? What are the good works that God has for me? And sometimes that starts with an internal desire. Okay? I love being around high school kids. I love teaching the Bible. Well, you know, I think I want to serve the poor. Whatever it is, God puts a desire in your heart and you say, maybe that's the beginning of the good works he has in store for me. And some of you don't need new works. You just need to infuse your current works with grace. You don't need a new spouse. You need to bring the grace of God into your relationship with your current spouse. You don't need new kids. You need to infuse your relationship with your kids with grace. You don't need, perhaps, to quit your job and find yourself. You need to find a way to bring the grace of Jesus into your job with you. So you start to ask, okay, how can I infuse the grace of God in the job that I already have with a boss who's driving me crazy in a cubicle that I sit in that drives me nuts next to a person that's driving me insane. And for those of you that are forced to work from home, I'm not sure what that means about those who are driving you insane next to you. Praise be to God. The kingdom of God is coming. This too shall pass. But how can I love and serve here now? And sometimes people are like, yeah, I started to get this thing going and man, it's hard. So maybe, maybe I'm not supposed to do that at all. Let me remind you, 
we worship a guy who got murdered, it may be really hard. But how do you infuse it with the grace of God? And we do all of this not so that God would love us because he already has. Not so that we can come into a right relationship with God because we already are. Not so that God would be pleased with us, but because in Christ, he already is. And it frees us to love and serve by the grace of God. So let me ask, do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? If not, this is where you receive the gift of Christ. This is what faith is. It's opening yourself to Jesus. So that all of your sins and all of your life and all of your future is his. And if you do know Christ, you are already rescued and saved. Just remember what you've been saved from, what you've been saved by, and what you've been saved for. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Help us to know that to be saved is not a cliche, but a truth to celebrate. And help us to appreciate what we've been saved from, death, our trespasses and sins, worldly ways. And that we would come to really love the one we're saved by. And Lord, for those that maybe haven't given their life to you. For them to realize that you have done all the saving, you have done all the work on the cross for us. All we have to do is open our lives to you and say, yes, Jesus, will you come in? And your promise of scripture is that you will come in. And then that we would produce good works out of that life-giving new nature and relationship with Jesus in whose name we pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed the message. You can connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, our website, bhprez.org, and subscribe to our YouTube channel to stay up to date on all our latest content.